0: This week we'll talk about innovation and design for machine learning. And we have a special guest today, Lisbeth. Lisbeth has been working on topics related to strategy, product, and AI for the last six years. First at McKinsey and then at Process. And Process is the parent company of Wilix. This is where I work. So Lisbeth and I, we were working together. And Lisbeth led an innovation division at Willix. So now she is joining a new company and she will work on climate resilient agriculture, it's a difficult word. So maybe you'll tell us a few words about that, but yeah, welcome to our event.
1: Thank you. And thanks so much for um, inviting me. I'm very uh, happy to be here. And I think you already gave a very nice overview of uh, some of the things that I've been doing in the past year. So I won't spend too much time on it, but as you said, b to c kind of past few years, I've been working on where strategy, AI, and kind of product meet. I am an engineer by training, so I have a master's degree in applied physics but I am also an art historian and ever since my studies I've really enjoyed kind of trying to meet at art and science or at least try to find ways in which more technical topics merge with more softer topics like more strategy or product or design or innovation so the ones that we'll we'll talk about today Um, yeah and as you mentioned spent some years working as a strategy consultant but then worked on all sorts of topics but I really wanted to dive deeper into the topic of AI machine learning, that's when I joined Process, and also there I've been doing many things, but I think you can kind of summarize it as trying to find ways to scale the impact that AI and machine learning have across organizations. So that's where I've been working on uh, topics like, you know, how does AI actually fit into your overall business strategy of a company? or How can you kind of design and optimize your products in such a way that you have amazing feedback loops going, or how can you upscale a whole organization for them to understand the basics of AI machine learning and help enable the work of the data scientists in an organization. So, a lot of different topics that we're working on, and I'm very happy to be talking about design and innovation today.
0: Mm -hmm. So you had a double degree, right, or first you got one and then another?
1: Yes. My uh, art history degree is just uh, undergraduate, so just a bachelor's degree, and I did that together with my physics, and then I did the master's in applied physics. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. So, did you say it was quite useful in your career that you have like both perspectives, sort of, on things?
1: I would say that the humanities or art history definitely has a completely different way of thinking about problems. So it's much more about You know, in in physics, it was always the case that you had sort of a challenge and there's only one possible answer, whereas in history or arts, there's always, you know, a single topic that you can look at from different perspectives. So that's much more about trying to also understand other people's perspective on a certain situation and really being able to kind of maybe convince someone of your perspective. So I would say it's a very nice and complementary skill set.
0: Yeah, especially with history, right? So the textbook is not enough, right? Because you always have different opinions and you need to yes. learn to work with sources to really find out what happened. Exactly. Because textbooks are always written. Like they sometimes submit some things, right?
1: <laughs> yes. You know, someone always has their own view on, on a certain situation, definitely.
0: Okay. So what is design? Like, is it about making websites look good or there is more to that?
1: You know, you're asking a physicist here to define design, <laughs> and probably a designer will have a, a different perspective. But because I'm, I'm not a designer by training, I actually very nicely am able to see design really as a tool. And then for me more specifically, as a tool to help build user-centered products. So I see it as a whole set of processes that you can apply to make sure that whenever you build a product, a feature or an AI application, that you really start from the problem that you're trying to solve and really always take into account sort of the customer view or the, but whoever is going to use this this uh, this application that you're building, that you always make sure that you take that into account. That for me is what design is about.
0: And why is it called design? To me, design is like okay, let's design a car that is beautiful, or let's design a dress that looks beautiful, or let's design a website. Like it's always to me, it's about aesthetical component of a thing. Mm. Like I don't know, but when I started working at Twilix I learned that designers at Twilix and in other companies, especially UX designers, right, it's not only about making buttons look good. Right. What also, no, like no, how That's easy cool. it is to find a button on the website, right? And other things.
1: Yeah. And especially when you try to combine that with AI, data science, machine learning, for me, it becomes about much more than just, you know, what the button needs to look like, what color it should be. And I have some examples that I can share with you how that might work. So maybe the closest to UX, I have an example of what you would call. Algorithm-friendly design, or it's also sometimes called I'm seeing as an algorithm. It's a very nice article that I can recommend by an author named uh, Eugene Wei. And what he talks about, it's almost as if, you know, when you think about a certain product experience or the way in which a customer interacts with the product, why don't you also see the algorithm as a stakeholder in that? Because, you know, for an algorithm to work very well it needs to have very clear signals. So why not build your product in such a way that the algorithm can actually collect all of the signals that it needs? And I think you know this is kind of a new way of thinking about maybe the interaction between design or product design and data science. But I think it's a very powerful one. Also fits into this broader story of maybe data centric AI. So you know back in the days three years ago when I joined Prosys, I had the feeling that a lot of data science teams they would build AI applications using The data that was already there, that was usually generated for a different purpose, not necessarily for the purpose of training their models. But imagine that you move to a different scenario where from the beginning of designing a product, you take into account that algorithm and what it might need. So, you know, think about OLX, it's about buying and selling and sometimes buyers and sellers have different incentives. So a seller just wants things to be very easy. They don't want to provide that much information because you know they, it takes too much time. But a buyer might want to know a lot of details. So there's already a little bit of conflict. And so usually, when you design a product, you take into account both the needs of the buyer and the seller. But imagine that you maybe also take into account the needs of the algorithm there. And maybe the algorithm—it's all about you know understanding. The preferences of a certain buyer so maybe really in detail understanding you know what style of secondhand clothing they might like or what style of furniture they might like and maybe in a way designing also the product to collect really strong signals about exactly that so you know that's an example for me where where data science and and design come together
0: I think you mentioned one uh, important word that I took a note of this word. So you mentioned it's, this is about interaction. So design it's yeah. about how you interact with something, be it a piece of furniture or a website, right? A like physical or virtual product. So it's about making website easy to use. And then when we talk about design and machine learning, it's also about thinking how this thing will interact with an algorithm. Not only with the human, with the user, but also with our algorithm that we will use to make user experience better, right?
1: Yeah, and especially how can we collect the signals that the algorithm might need in order to train faster. And this article that I just mentioned about seeing as an algorithm, they very nicely describe the difference between Instagram and TikTok here. So imagine scrolling an Instagram feed. I think a lot of people will be familiar with that. Well, you know you scroll past a lot of different posts, but if you reason from the perspective of an algorithm, it's kind of hard to understand if someone likes a post or not, because typically you know you might see one bit of a post here, and you see a bit of a post below it, you're looking at the comments. so what is it actually that the user is interacting with? Whereas if you look at TikTok, there it's about short videos and someone's looking at one video at the time. And maybe clicks on the creator, maybe clicks on a heart, right? And then you collect much more sharp signals about that one particular video, which actually allows TikTok and its algorithms to learn much faster what it is that you like and that you don't like. So that's where, you know, in the way that you design your interaction with the user, you're taking into account how you can speed up the learning of the algorithm and actually extracting what um, the interests are of a particular user.
0: Yeah, I guess in case of Instagram and other social networks, so there are multiple ways you can interact with uh, a piece of content. You can like it, yeah. right? You can also comment or you can share it or you can just watch it, right? And then the developers, data scientists in that company now need to figure out okay, now we have this a ton of signals coming out of this. How do we actually now get all the signals and combine them in such a way that we can put this into our recommender system and Mm -hmm. we get a good feed? While, as you said, in TikTok, so maybe in these social networks, they first designed the feed and then thought, okay, now how do we add the ranking here, right? While in TikTok, they thought about this in the first place, right?
1: Exactly, exactly, yeah. Might be nice if I mention another example of how, for me, design and machine learning come together, because what we've just been talking about is really a bit more about design as a way that you maybe shape the interface between the user and the, and the product. But for me, design can also be much more, let's say, a process or a way of working that you agree on with each other. And an example of a technique that's used up that by designers is called the Double Diamond. It's kind of a way to go from you know a rough problem area something that you might want to solve or something that you think you want to build to an actual working solution and then you know imagine shape of two diamonds so it's kind of like diverging and and converging and that's how that way of working works so you start with something like hey i want to um, reduce fraud in in my business or in my products then you diverge and you start to research okay what is fraud really about what ways of fraud do we see on the platform? What do users care about when they think about fraud? And then you converge again and you say, okay, you know, if I want to solve fraud, there's this particular sub-problem that I actually should be solving because it's most important to my users. And then you start to diverge again and you look at all of these different uh, potential solutions in which you can solve that type of fraud. And you start experimenting and you start testing them and then you converge to a particular solution that works. And that for me is another design method that's actually used to make sure that you're solving the right problem and also you're solving the problem in the right way. And some of this might seem a little bit obvious, but to me, again, it touches also to some of the core challenges that I still see in data science teams that I've worked with, namely what's really the problem that we're trying to solve here, Mm -hmm. uh, first of all. And also second of all, is machine learning really the right way of solving it? And I have seen a lot of data science teams that you know go to the solution very quickly. But if as a team you agree on these type of design practices, it uh, might help you to make sure that you're solving the right problem and, and you're using the, the right tools to do so.
0: So I was taking notes about this Diable Diamond. This is not the first time I hear this, but let me try to summarize it to make sure I understood it. So mm-hmm. you have like these sort of two big steps in the process, right? the yep. first step is you really need to understand the problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve, right? So first you do a bit of brainstorming and you try to understand, okay, fraud, what does it actually mean, right? And then you do brainstorming, you talk to people, uh, and you collect a lot of data, right? And then out of this data, you actually want to pick one area and focus on that. And then by doing this, you really understand the problem you want to solve, the problem that your users have, right? So first you start with the problem and then the second diamond the second step is okay now we found out what the problem is now let's find a solution and then you again go into the brainstorming mode and you say okay i can solve it with neural network i can solve it with uh, i don't know gradient boosting tree i can solve it without any machine learning i can solve it just by sitting there and labeling data myself or i don't know i can hire a vendor to do this or like you exactly. list all these possible yes. things right and then at the end okay now we have all these possible solutions like we can build things in-house we can solve it without machine learning we can i don't know hire a vendor let's evaluate all these solutions and find the right one right and then at the end of this process you know what the problem is and you know what's the best way to solve it right exactly well hopefully
1: hopefully yeah i think that was a very nice way of uh, describing it and it, of course, it depends on the team and the organization how exactly they might apply a process like this. But what you also often see is when you go to that solution phase, there's a lot of experimentation. So out of these you know, six possible ways that we've identified, maybe let's start three of them. Let's see if they actually work, if they work as easily as we thought that they would. A lot of this is trying to also substantiate your ideas with data, whether it comes from your user or from tests, to try to see what really is the problem you're solving and what the best solution could be.
0: So I guess this is a part of the second step, the second diamond is, okay, now we have a couple of possible solutions. We can evaluate this vendor, let's try and build a proof of concept right or yeah. we can see how to solve it without any machine learning let me just sit down and label all this data myself and see what happens right how can i actually make a decision based on that and then i don't know the third option could be something else uh, let's just open my jupyter notebook and train a simple model myself right yeah. and then we do this in parallel we have three proof of concepts and then at the end of this step we can also see okay this seems to be more viable, right? It's also part of the process.
1: Yeah, and then usually along the way, you have different criteria, right? Because sometimes, you know, you just have budget constraints. So that's why you eliminate one of the options. Sometimes you have an idea, but you know you put it in front of a user and it turns out they don't like it at all. So maybe that's why you eliminate another idea. Or as you said, you know, you try to at least build it, but you figure out you really have None of the data to get started and to collect the data would take you so long that that idea is not feasible. So then for different reasons, you can start to eliminate some of your potential solutions. But at least I like it because it's a very conscious approach to make sure that you are really doing the right thing and you're not spending your whole team's time solving a problem that could have been solved in a much easier way or maybe that, you know, wasn't the most important step to actually solving that fraud issue that you started off
0: with. And at the beginning, when you were describing this, it looked like I think that could be done in a couple of days. But now, when we talked about <laughs> creating a pro- proof of concept, multiple of them, then also showing to the user. And then at the beginning, you also mentioned, I think, user research, I think, which involves talking to actual people and then showing yeah. them some things. So how long does it actually take from the moment, let's say, when a management comes in and says, Hey, we have a lot of fraud, let's solve it, to the moment mm-hmm. when you you know, finish the second diamond.
1: Well, ideally, this takes two days, right? Uh, you have an amazing <laughs> team, you put all of them together in a room and you solve it in two days. So, yeah, it, it depends a lot on how many customers you have, how elaborately you want to do user research, or how much of that is already there in your the organization. Uh, It also depends on how complex you want to make the solution and when you would say it's done, right? Is it done when you have some sort of a small proof of concept or is it done when you've actually scaled that across all of your customers in all of the countries that you might be operating in? So I think it's, it's difficult to say how long a process like this takes, but, you know, I do want to stress that when a team that includes data scientists starts to work with these type of, let's say, design techniques, doesn't mean that they'll spend 90% of their time in brainstorming sessions, right? I think it's very nice to use some of these techniques to try to make sure that you, as a team and as an organization, keep working in a user-centered, problem-centered way. You don't go to a solution too quickly. Also doesn't mean that you have to kind of throw away you know, all of the ways of working that you had before. I think it can be a very nice add-on To some of the the ways of working that teams already have.
0: So I heard this double diamond in context of another thing another term called design thinking. Mm -hmm. So what is design thinking and how these two things are related?
1: So you know if you maybe thought that this concept of double diamond was really a little bit fluffy then I would say that (laughs) design thinking is, is the overarching term even above some of these different processes. I would say that design thinking is you know the overall ambition to make sure that whatever products you build or features or uh, models, that they again take into account this user. And then as an organization, anyone can do that in different ways. Maybe what's actually a nice example is how Google does this. So if you're interested to know a little bit more of what some of these design processes might look like, to make sure that you're working in a kind of design thinking way, You could look up Pair with Google. I think it stands for uh, People in AI Research. They have a whole set of tools from kind of scoping exercises to more ways of prototyping that very nicely combine making sure that you understand the user, but also working towards actual AI machine learning solutions for some of the problems that you might identify. So yeah, I would say it's a whole set of processes to make sure that you are user centered. But as I said, it's yeah, I think it's a nice add-on and a nice tool to have. But it's not something that makes you have to throw away everything that you've learned before. Right.
0: So it's like pair like P A I R, right?
1: Yes, people AI research. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said uh, it covers things like scoping. I guess this is the first diamond we talked about, Yeah. right? So how do we make sure that we're solving the right problem? And then prototyping, I guess this is the second part, right? So when we try to find the, the solution and they talk about different tools or processes, how to actually organize our sessions in such a way that we successfully find the problem and then we successfully find the solution, right?
1: Yes. And it's just more, I would say, uh, an overview of some inspiring resources. Because I would say, as a team that has an ambition to do wor- more with AI, it's not as if there's already you know, a very strictly written handbook of exactly how you should be doing it. So it's typically up to a team to just find inspiration in how others might have approached this. And then this research from Google might be an interesting one.
0: And what is the design sprint is it related to what we talked about
1: yeah sometimes uh, teams go through a process like this kind of centered in i don't know a one week for example so before they might have already done a lot of interviews so in one week with a team they'll try to analyze those interviews and they say hey here is really the problem that we want to solve they'll do a whole bunch of creation ideation type of workshops And they'll come to a prioritized list of uh, solutions that they might want to be trying. So sometimes teams try to really put a lot of brainpower together and try to answer a whole bunch of these type of questions around the problem and the solution together in one week. But yeah, that again depends a little bit on what it is that you're trying to solve. Sometimes, you know, hey, let's solve fraud. That might be such a big challenge that a design sprint is not really the right method for a team to do that.
0: So this is one of the tools of this design thinking thing, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I guess from what you mentioned, what you talked about, so let's say when we understand the problem, when we did a bit of homework already, when we interviewed the users, Mm -hmm. users about the problem that they have with our product, and we already have some materials. And then in order to go through this material and process it as effectively as possible, we... Put together a team like a bunch of people together and tell them okay you have a week now figure out (laughs) what to do with it right and this is called a design sprint
1: yeah i think that's how you could say it yes
0: okay and uh, what are the things that we need to do in this design sprint to be able to do this successfully and who do we need that uh, there in the sprint like i think we need uh, data scientists right do we need designers product managers like who should be there
1: well, if you're thinking about solutions that involve data science, definitely helpful to have data scientists in the room. And I also, what I appreciate about these ways of working is that you'll try to involve the full team in the whole process, right? So it's not just like, oh, okay, I think there's a solution with AI here. This is the moment that we call the data scientist. No, I always really appreciate it if the data scientists maybe sat in on some of the interviews with customers or helped at least really also understand and own the problem that, that you're trying to solve. So that's why everyone that you might need for the solution, I'm really appreciative if all of them are there in the full process. But yeah, for these types of sessions, it is very helpful to have someone that can facilitate them. So that understands like, hey, when should we be diverging? And, and we keep researching and trying to keep understand the problem space and when do we start to diverge and say like, hey, this is really the core problem that we're trying to solve, for example. And it could be a designer or the service designer who are very well equipped to facilitate processes like that. But it could also be a product manager who has done that before. Right? This is, I would say, a skill that is definitely, you can definitely learn this. Data scientists could also be the ones that facilitate a session like that and um yeah whoever you might need on the solution side you would want to involve them in a in a session like this
0: all well, the engineers right front end engineers back end engineers like if we need uh, machine learning and data scientists then the facilitator could be product manager could be designer or both right yes so basically the entire team the the product team that will work on implementing this they all should be there
1: right ideally i would say so yeah and this is something that I haven't always seen. I do see often a tendency, you know that the user research is done by user researchers or designers. and then once you actually start building, that's when you call the engineers. But I would say that you build better products or better features or better AI applications if you have all of that brain power involved both in the problem definition and in the solution definition. As I mentioned, Before, you know, this idea of seeing as an algorithm and maybe optimizing the interaction with the user in such a way that you really collect these laser-sharp signals that you might need in your models. Well, that is quite a complicated task. So you probably need all of the different mindsets and all of the different specialties involved in the the whole process there to be able to achieve something like that. Uh,
0: The next question I had was about, Like, as a data scientist, why should they care about all that? Sounds like (laughs) a job. But I think you answered that, right? So in this process, when we talk about potential solution, even before that first data science for data scientists, it's very helpful to understand the problem, right? Because it will influence how exactly you solve it. But then also during the sort of solution phase, when let's say we're thinking about the interface, how exactly the interface will look like, if I, as a data scientist, not there, not in this meeting, then I might not be able to say, hey, what I you mean, how exactly we're going to collect this data that we actually will need for solving this?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I would almost turn around the question and say, you know, as a data scientist or machine learning engineer, or maybe data engineer, have you ever felt like you were working on an initiative where it wasn't 100% clear to you why you were even doing this and why this problem had to be solved or why it was an important problem. Or, you know, as a, if you ever find yourself having this tendency of just going to the solution a little bit too quickly, then, you know, that might be an indication that there's definitely some value for you and the rest of the team to get in, in techniques like this.
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember being in this situation and even worse than somebody when somebody already comes with a solution. Like let's say a manager comes and says, Hey, like we have this problem. And I read an article and the article says, you can solve this with deep learning. So here you go go figure out how to do do this. And then you spend a couple of months. Then you come up with some solution. It turns out that the problem is wrong. And the solution to this problem is Yeah, not correct, and then it's just two months wasted.
1: Yes, exactly. Some of those dynamics you cannot just solve by having a brainstorming session, right? If you work in a company where that's the tendency, that product direction is established somewhere by really high management, and you're really in an execution-focused role, then, of course, there might be some, some bigger challenges to solve. But at least this way of working with your team might allow you to start the conversation with managers about these types of topics where you say, hey, but look, we did the research and this is not even the right problem to, to be solved you know, anyway, or this might not be the right technique to solve it.
0: Let's imagine we have this situation, like a manager comes to me or to a team, to a product manager and says, hey, this is the problem we think we have, let's solve it with mm-hmm. a neural network. So how do we challenge that person, how do we challenge the let's say the CTO or whoever to say, no, 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 let's first figure out what the problem is. Like how do we go about that?
1: Yeah, so you know, I also my times working as a consultant. I think I've I've gained some experience with you know saying no, but uh, maybe a friendlier way of saying no is asking why. So it's almost as if you know your manager or the CTO, whoever gives you this assignment is also Kind of like a customer. So just like you want to understand the customer and their needs and their priorities, you might also want to do the same with whoever is giving you these type of assignments. And then it turns out, you know, they say to you build solution X, but what it really is, again, maybe what they're actually trying to do is solve fraud or improve their monetization or improve the engagement between the, the different users on the platform. So that's maybe the underlying why that you also need to get to with whoever gave you that assignment. And then with your team, you can try to figure out, okay, if that's what we're trying to do, again, trying to solve fraud, then I can go back and understand what within fraud is really the best thing to be addressing. So yeah, I would also see that as kind of an engagement where you want to get to the bottom of why someone is giving you a certain task.
0: So I guess then uh, in this situation, I or somebody else would ask why, right? And then understand and where this is coming from. Like, why do you come to meet with this problem? Yes. Where did you hear about this? And then maybe it's best to also involve that person, right? Or maybe if this is something that coming directly from CTO. And then, I don't know, do we start a design sprint or how do we do this for double diamond? Or like maybe there is even a bigger problem and we need to think about something else before we start.
1: Yeah. Large organizations, maybe others might not recognize this if they work in smaller teams where you know the CTO just sits at the desk right next to you, then you might not have these situations. But yeah, large organizations sometimes remind me of this, you know, Chinese whispering game where you all sit in a circle, and one person, you know, whispers something in the ear of the person sitting next to them, and the, the story keeps traveling throughout the room. And by the end, the time that it ends up at the end of the line, the, the story has completely changed. I think this sometimes does happen in organizations. So, you know, it's everyone awesome gives video. their own interpretation <laughs> <That's> <laughs> of what it actually is that, that we're trying to achieve. Again, that's one of the bigger challenges that you can't necessarily solve through design thinking or any sort of design process, that is probably just you know an organization that's in need of a very clear product definition or a very clear strategy statement. But yeah, again, you go into these meetings like that, you try to understand what the bigger problem is that you're trying to solve. And then whoever is responsible for building a solution needs to make sure that he or she has the team that they need to try to achieve that. So involve their product teams usually. And then facilitate the right process could be a design sprint the problem is slightly smaller and slightly more clear-cut could be also launching news research if we don't have that understanding yet of the problem that you're trying to solve or maybe it's just a lot of analytics because sometimes that can be what you need to understand what it is that we're actually talking about yeah and then combining those into an insight about the problem to solve and then taking it from there
0: yeah this chain is whispering I think it happens quite often, especially in larger companies where Mm -hmm. we have multiple departments and then the problem is coming from one department, then somebody tells to their manager, to their manager, to their manager, and then the manager at the top talks to other manager. And then there could be like, I don't know, five, six hops before it reaches the data scientist who actually needs to solve it. (laughs) Yes. And then I guess here the right way to do this would be to try to backtrack. Right, and then get together and try to solve it.
1: Yeah, and and also as a data scientist, don't be afraid to, you know, okay, I'm just going to write down what I think the scope is and what I think the problem is that we're trying to solve and why we're doing this. So just put together a very short scoping document, can even be an email, and just send it back to, you know, all the way up to where you think it actually came from and see how they respond to that. So just kind of those basic project management tools sound kind of boring, but they can maybe save you a few months of work if it helps you focus on the, the right topic.
0: Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes with a solution, you need to find out why, and then you need to yes. document this, and then you need to say, okay, this is what I think the problem is, and this is the solution I propose, right? Or even without the solution, just the problem, right? And then you have this document, and you, you send it, and then... You want to get an uh, saying, okay, yes, this is indeed the problem, right?
1: <laughs> in an ideal world, this is how it would work, yes.
0: <laughs> Do we need to have some sort of processes in our uh, organization like and how exactly this should happen? Like I imagine if there are such ad hoc requests coming in, I guess there should be some process like how exactly we define the roadmap, uh, how we prioritize things, right? how, how should it work?
1: Yeah, so that's maybe, you know, a broader question also around who defines priorities in an organization that maybe specifically when you talk about data science, who defines what the roadmap looks like and what you know models the team are going to build and who leads that. And I think what you're describing is one situation that I've sometimes seen that it's, you know, decided by management, okay, we need deep learning here and then Let's build it without maybe a detailed understanding of, of the problems or the total solution space. But what I've also seen is maybe more the opposite, that it's data scientists that pitch ideas, maybe mostly from a technical perspective, like, hey, we have this data available in the company, and I see that we can build, I don't know, a computer vision model here based on whatever data we have available. Let's build it. And that's not always wrong. But... I do sometimes see a missed opportunity also for product managers to play a larger role in defining these AI and data science applications, simply because the product managers are usually the ones that kind of at the center, that have an overview of all of the different problems that are out there that need solving. And they could be the ones that very nicely say like, hey, here I see a, a problem area that my customers are struggling with. And maybe we can use AI machine learning as a tool for solving it. So when it comes to priority setting, it's of course a very difficult broader topic and also organizations have different processes in place for that. But sometimes I see that maybe product managers can also take a leading role in at least understanding where AI might make sense.
0: And uh, one other thing we wanted to talk about here. So we talked about design but we also wanted to talk about innovation, right? Yes. How is it all that we talked about design and all that communication between <laughs> different people? How is it related to innovation?
1: <laughs> and again, you know, we just discussed a very broad topic that design decided now, and even part of one called innovation. Maybe, and from my perspective, how I see this topic. So especially in large organizations, a lot of the data scientists, they work typically on goals for the next three months. Right, a lot of large tech organizations have these things called OKRs, objectives and key results that are established on a three monthly basis, which means that a lot of the day the science work usually fits in a three month block, which means that they are not huge crazy endeavors, but there's something that's quite tangible and just has a direct impact on a certain metric. let's try to you know, tweak the search or recommendation models for this particular part of the product to try to get the performance from A to you know five percent better than that. And of course, if all of the data scientists working in an organization all have these sort of projects where they get you know from A to B in a kind of incremental way at scale, that has a large impact. But I do think that that can be a bit of a missed opportunity because there might be completely new business opportunities or completely new product opportunities that just don't fit into a three-month time period. They will take more time. So innovation for me is trying to find a way of working to spend part of your organization's resources on also figuring out where might the product or the business go in six months or a year from now and how might AI machine learning actually enable a huge opportunity that that wasn't there before like you know when you talk about olex how can we try to do personalization to an extent that we don't do right now how can we really in detail understand your particular taste when it comes to furniture in such a way that we can find the perfect couch that fits into your house or when you talk about maybe food delivery how can i really understand exactly what type of flavors you like in such a way that i can find this dish that you've never tried before but i'm sure you're absolutely going to love it those could be really cool and powerful ideas that very much change the business but it's hard to do them you know in a three-month project so that's why sometimes at least i would say you need a bit of space in an organization to try out the more radical ideas and that for me is an
0: Yeah, because I think we usually work in these, I think increments, in these sprints, in these time blocks. Yeah. I think even like the whole agile thing is about moving in small things, right? So you don't, I don't know, spend a lot of time working on something ambiguous when you can work on something tangible that will bring results right now, right? So this is the usual way of working, right? So this is the whole agile thing. But as I understood you correctly, maybe I'm wrong, innovation is not about making these small incremental steps, Let's instead of doing the next thing we need to do for this project, let's just start from the beginning and see if there is a different way of solving this problem. And not something that we built on top of what we already have, but maybe there is something like a completely different road that will take us closer to what people actually need, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. So. You know, as an example, secondhand cars, right? Within OLX, there are a lot of platforms where people can buy and sell secondhand cars. But the core problem when you're buying a secondhand car is trust. Not very surprisingly, number one emotion when you buy a secondhand car is fear that, you know, the seller is lying to you. The car has been in a huge accident and they're trying to to hide that. Or actually, the car has driven twice the amount of kilometers that the seller says it has. So, of course, you can try to solve for some of these issues in kind of an incremental way. So you'll try to make a model to test the reliability of the seller, for example. But you can also say, okay, can we use AI, machine learning, or any other technique to solve that trust issue in a radically different way? You know, maybe we should build this huge scanner Where you drive the car into a scanner kind of like a car wash has a lot of AI machine learning and at the end of it you know every possible detail about the car that would be a radically different way of solving it. Now, I'm not saying that that is the way to solve it because then I would be going immediately to you know a solution that's not what you try to do in innovation again it's the same type of design thinking where you really try to understand the problems and all of the solutions before you pick one but at least you know, if you just have three months, no one is going to try to think about building that scanner because it just wouldn't fit into the roadmap. And of course, you also don't want everyone in your organization thinking about these kind of crazy and out of the box idea all the time, because then of course, you know, nothing actually gets built on a daily basis, but you might want a few people that worry about completely different directions.
0: I heard this story many times that, let's say somebody works at Amazon or Facebook or some other company and they have a problem with something, but because they don't have freedom of solving this like mm-hmm. innovative way, so they need to make these incremental steps. So what they do is they leave and start a startup. And In the startup, <laughs> they try to innovate to sort of rethink exactly how they do things. And then there is a startup which tries to take one of the things that this big company does, but do it differently. And then some of these startups become bigger, right? Because they solve it in a more original way, in a better way that users like more, right? i, I heard many stories like that, mm. not necessarily Amazon. The reason I brought up Amazon is because I remember listening to an interview, somebody who had a problem with Amazon, with some internal machine learning platform. And then they thought, okay, this seems like a problem that many customers have. So they left Amazon and they started the company. So this is innovation, right? So when you see a problem and you try to find a new way of solving this problem.
1: Yeah. I definitely think a lot of startups start in that way. That it starts from a personal frustration, something that you've encountered and uh, maybe couldn't solve in the job that you have. And you say, okay, let me just do this myself. Though, you know, I don't think you always have to leave a company in order to, uh, to solve to- a problem like that. Yeah. And maybe my right recommendation would be, of course, if you see a big problem and you think of an innovative solution... It's not as if, you know, once you pitch it to the manager that he immediately says, perfect, here you have a million and a team and let's build it. It would be nice. It it would be nice. (laughs) But again, what you can try to do is in that similar way as what I just mentioned about the double diamonds, you can try to collect evidence. So you can try to collect evidence about why this is really an important problem to be solved and also evidence about why your solution might be the right one. So if you just have a little bit of time and opportunity to, for example, experiment and collect some data in that way, then that might help you build a really cool business case. And then you pitch it to your manager and then you get that million and you <laughs> solve the problem.
0: I guess uh, if you're an Amazon, you don't want your people to leave and start a startup, right? So you want to keep them in the company and you want to encourage them to do innovation within company because, you know, you don't know maybe this will become a new Big thing, right? So you probably want this to happen inside your company and not have a competitor who is doing something similar, right?
1: Ideally, yes. I hope that that is also part of an interesting culture for people to work in, where they feel like, hey, if I have an idea and I'm actually able to prove that it might be working and I have the opportunity, you know, maybe to experiment a little bit. And my idea actually makes it so I can prove that maybe my idea is even better than the one that's already on the roadmap, that they get that opportunity to go and further develop it. It's kind of also that maybe back in the days from Facebook, that whenever you had a good idea, you would get you know 10,000 users to test that idea on. That sort of mindset, I think, is very interesting for tech companies to have if there is a good idea that somewhere in the organization pops up. That people get a little bit of opportunity to run with it, and sometimes it works within existing product teams. Sometimes you maybe need a separate team to work on it because you know otherwise it interferes too much. Whatever needs to be delivered in a certain quarter.
0: I heard there is a company in Germany, I think in whole Europe, called Zalanda. They're selling clothes, and what they have is they have some freedom to work on small projects. So they see a problem and they form a small task force so the person who sees the problem they pitch to i don't know to who they pitch okay we see this problem give us a couple of uh, one month to try it out to see how we can solve it and then uh, they would get some people they would work only for this limited amount of time on this problem and then they would show the results And then based on that, they will decide if they want to keep doing what they do and then actually build a team around that or just everyone goes back to their team. So I think this is a pretty cool concept. I don't know how popular it is, but I remember a recruiter from Zalanda was pitching me this concept and I found it pretty (laughs) interesting. Do you know if this is something companies uh, often do? And do you think this is a good thing?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, there's different ways in which you could make sure that you spend part of your resources on looking you know, a little bit further than just next three months and maybe going to ideas that are a bit more radical. One of them would indeed be these ad hoc task force-like teams. we have worked with iFood, food delivery company from Brazil, and they have a similar setup, and they call it um, jet skis. So imagine that, you know, most of the company is this huge oil tanker that's very difficult to steer and if you steer it it's just going to make a small movement and then you have sort of the jet ski and it can go anywhere and it can try out new and different ideas and that definitely works but it sometimes depends a bit on the organization also the type of challenges that you have sometimes it makes sense to really have a dedicated team instead of these kind of ad hoc task force like kind of oh we'll spend a few hours a week on this type of teams because sometimes you really want to make sure that you have enough resources that there's really a dedicated team with kind of a structured way of working that always takes into account you know the user size and make sure that your ideas are linked to the overall ambitions of the company rather than leaving it kind of up to the smaller teams to hopefully come up with something cool
0: so let me try to summarize. So innovation is about finding new ways of solving the problem you already have, or maybe new problems, but not mm-hmm. in small steps, but trying to find a radically different way of doing this. But then you need to give people some time to actually work on this, because if all 100% of their time is taken by these incremental things, by these OKRs and other things, they will not have time to work on innovation. Right. So you need to somehow give them the space to work on this and this is how you innovate and then as a tool for innovation you use these things that we discussed in the first half like all these double diamond diamonds design thinking design sprints to actually make sure you understand the problem build a business case and then present this business case to whoever decides if they want to invest in this team right and then based on that the company decides what to do is it an accurate summary
1: definitely a very nice summary And the way in which companies do this could be different, could be a dedicated team, could be, you know, as you say, something that people spend their Friday afternoons on in kind of a project by project team. But, you know, my encouragement would definitely be try to discuss these type of ideas with your direct team or maybe the broader data science community. If you see an opportunity for more innovation, or more user-centred product development or AI application development. Try to get together and try to see if there are techniques out there that you want to try
0: out. And I imagine a different challenge. So let's say I'm a manager and I have a lot of fires to, to fight. Yes. And then now somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I have this amazing idea. We can completely revolutionize the way we're solving this problem. But I have these fires and I don't have enough people. So how can I tell them? Because I probably need to tell, yeah, cool idea, but let's go back back to work. Right. So how do I solve <laughs> this problem here with innovation? Do I need to talk to my manager to ask for, I don't know, more people in the team? Or I need maybe to rethink priorities? Is there a solution to this at all? But
1: well, I mean, if you're always putting out fires, then yeah, there might be some underlying bigger uh, issues to fix maybe around the resourcing because... That's not an ideal of work, that way of working for anyone. But I do believe that in order to keep teams motivated, they need to have a little bit of space and a little bit of a say in what they actually work on and what the broader team works on. So hopefully there's definitely an opportunity for a conversation there. But yeah, I'm not sure if there's you know, a one-size-fits-all solution to be able to both work on really cool and active projects and make sure that whatever the team needs to deliver actually gets delivered. A solution direction that I believe in is definitely experimentation. So, you know, if I pitch a really cool idea, but my proof point is me talking to another colleague over a beer, then that's not a very convincing idea. If my proof point is, hey, I actually very quickly ran a survey and it turns out that 90% of the customers deal with this issue, or hey, I very quickly changed this I don't know, button from A to B, and through that I could actually measure that people really clicked on it, so they're really interested in it, then you have a much better story. But in order to be able to quickly do that type of data collection or that type of experimentation, you need quite advanced capabilities. So that, you know, it's not possible anywhere, but I believe it's definitely a direction that more mature tech companies need to move into in order to be able to, together, prioritize all of the resources in the right way.
0: Yeah, I imagine there could be a situation when you come to a manager with a good idea and the manager says, yeah, cool idea, but I don't like it, right? But if instead, (laughs) uh, well, maybe not in this uh, direct manner, but I can imagine that something like this happens and we have other priorities and we have more things to do than we can fit in a sprint in, uh, in three months. But I guess the other story would be if you use a bit of, uh, I don't know, Friday afternoon to get hard evidence that this is a good solution through maybe experimentation or something else, and then you bring this evidence yeah. to your discussion, And it's very difficult to say, yeah, work on something else, right?
1: Yeah, and maybe one more recommendation for an article to read this is a recent article by Stitch They very nicely describe as organizations are moving towards using more data science, AI, machine learning everything becomes more measurable as well. And then people find out that their ideas for product directions, if they're based on intuition, sometimes they work, but sometimes they also don't work. So actually, if you do more data science and everything becomes measurable, you have a much better tool to prioritize based on actual facts and data rather than someone's gut feeling, which can also be a bit confrontational. It turns out that your ideas don't always work. But for the overall impact that you were trying to achieve, I think that's the direction that you need to be going into.
0: It's a, an interesting feeling when you think that idea works, but then you look at the data and it doesn't. <laughs> at first, it's hard to accept, but then uh, over time you learn yes. that. So I think it's it's a good thing. You know, even when you put some time into this thing to accept that this thing is not working, instead of trying to... Let me tweak this thing like let me tweak that thing to just accept okay it's not working let's say something else let's move on it also it also helps to see hard evidence that okay this is uh, don't try to keep working on this thing okay i think we should be wrapping up i didn't ask you all the questions i wanted but is there anything you want to say before we finish maybe something you wanted to bring up but we didn't have a chance to talk
1: um yeah, plenty of interesting <laughs> topics, right? I guess if you work on the design and innovation, you can keep talking about them for a long time. But maybe one encouragement for anyone listening in and you know they're kind of interested, but they maybe don't know where to get started. I would just say these type of skills are definitely very learnable, so you know three years ago when I joined process maybe the playbook for a successful machine learning project hadn't really been written. And now, three years later, I think there's so much documentation and so many podcasts like this one and so many courses out there that exactly describe how to do a successful machine learning project. And it's maybe the same with these topics, related to design and innovation. Uh, At the moment, there's no playbook written yet, but you can definitely read about it, see if you can find a course get familiar with the topic and maybe you might be the one that's later on writing the playbook for how to incorporate design into a data science team so definitely encouraged to keep learning about topics
0: like this and a good starting point i think you mentioned is this pair from google right yes definitely yeah okay so if somebody has questions what's the best way to reach out to you
1: uh linkedin might be the best channel Okay.
0: Well, yeah, there is a comment. Uh, can we have links to learn more? Maybe you can send us these links to the, that these articles you mentioned, I think you mentioned yeah. about this TikTok and yes. Instagram. Yes. Seeing what, as an
1: algorithm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then the other one about was Stitch Fix, right?
1: Yeah.
0: There's something else. And then this pair. And then pair with Google. Yes. Yeah. Maybe if you can send us, then I will put this in the description. And I think that's all for today so thanks again Lisbeth for joining us today thanks for sharing your knowledge thanks everyone for joining us today as well for listening in
1: thank you thanks for joining have a nice day